0: Good morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Welcome to Democratic uh, Perspective. Steve Williamson here. Uh, sitting uh, across from me is co-host uh, Karen McClellan. Say hello, Karen. Good
1: morning, everybody.
0: <laughs> so we're glad to to be on the air today, and we have a, a special guest. A- everybody who participates, sort of, in the the informal editorial board of of a democratic perspective or who is a co-host has brought us uh, different speakers, different ideas, uh, different interests. And uh, as you can see, the last year, Hava brought us a lot of interest in, uh, in um, criminal justice. And um, one of the people that, that uh, Klaus van Studerheim uh, brought uh, to the show was dan single uh who's here today and i just mispronounced his name dan is a a retired professor um got his degree from harvard had a phd written a couple of uh interesting books a historian as well as a political scientist um extremely uh perspective uh perceptive (laughs) i got up late this morning um So we're going to introduce Dan, and we're going to talk about the Biden administration. And back on January 18th, when I noticed Klaus was still alive, he was very sick, but he participated in the show as best he could. Um, We really miss him, and we're really glad he uh, introduced us to you, Dan, and Dan's now been on the show three or four times. Uh, Dan, are you there?
2: Yes, I'm here. Good. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Um, we Last time we talked, um, and we, we, we had talks about uh, the Democratic candidates with you. Uh, Dan's a political scientist. He's very perceptive. I mean, I disagree with him quite a bit at the time, but he's very perceptive, and he's, he's got a, a, his own distinctive point of view, and I think that's important uh, that we that we begin to discuss that. Uh, and I when we talked last, you were very positive about the Biden administration. You were very positive about his um, cabinet. What's your feeling now, a year later, almost?
2: Well, uh, a surprise more than anything, because I think he really has fulfilled his promise in terms of domestic achievement. I mean, you look at that $1.9 trillion stimulus COVID relief bill. That was very impressive, pushing that through on reconciliation. Uh, The $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, I mean, how many presidents could have negotiated that? He did a terrific job, as did his uh, his various cabinet members. And now it looks like we're going to have a big reconciliation, uh, social welfare, and climate uh, bill. I would expect it will be passed by the end of this month. It's all looking very good. And that's going to be close to another $2 trillion, and it covers so many things that need to be addressed. Uh, And then there are many, many other things that uh, he has done domestically uh, over the last year or so. So I think the record there is incredibly good. The problem is there have been so many things he doesn't control, like inflation, uh, like the pandemic, that have been clobbering uh, his uh, standing with the American voters. Uh, When it comes to foreign policy, I have some concerns. I'm very surprised at some of the things he's done. I think it's hurt him and hurt the country. And um, uh, given the fact that he has all this expertise in foreign policy, uh, I'm a little bit shocked at how he's performed in that area. So there, uh, he has had some control over what's happened, and he hasn't handled it as well. Uh, then I worry about his optics. I think he's coming across as this very weak old man uh, that's how voters perceive him, that's not really who he is. I mean, to have done what he's done domestically, uh, to have uh, carried out the duties of the office uh, as well as he has in general, I think takes uh, shows a lot of strength. And yet that's not how voters see him, and I think that's hurting him, and I think it's hurting the Democrats in general.
0: Let's go to the the pandemic and inflation. First, the pandemic was something that none of us expected. Uh, Actually, some people did expect and wrote about our unpreparedness for pandemics worldwide, the lack of investment in public uh, um, health, the lack of investment in, in science research. But nobody knew what this virus was going to be like and so biden's very conservative projections of when the virus would be basically beaten down to a to a lower level didn't pan out first people wouldn't get uh uh inoculations and uh and second a new variant came in and now we have still a a third variant on the disease so it is still very unpredictable and uh, American people have still not completely settled down with it. And the effect of the pandemic on, on inflation, really, and on um, supply chain is something that I guess there were people perspective enough to predict it, but, but not enough because um, – it's it's very complex and it's new. You no, know, we'd never had a pandemic, we'd never had the country shut down and we really didn't know what would happen. And apparently uh you know Biden didn't know what would happen either. So all his conservative phrasing and and uh, approach to the problem wasn't conservative enough or careful enough. And so I think that's where we start. And I think it is unfair to to blame him for stuff that we can't do it. It's like the denunciations of the scientists for not understanding COVID right out the gate. Yeah. They just didn't. They couldn't. We needed all these years of, of research to begin to understand the, the, something that new and that different. Um. So I think a lot of that, I, I, I agree with you, Dan, is kind of unfair. It's not really his... Uh, job, he's handled those those things, I think, really well. I don't think the American people see that. I agree with you, uh, but I think he's he's done a good job in 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 those respects. Um, let's, do you want to go ahead and talk about foreign yeah, policy? Let me
2: throw in sure. a, what we historians call a counterfactual. That is to say, if things had turned out a little bit differently, what would what would it all look like now? Um let's go back and uh, let's say Biden had pushed his big uh, inoculation program, which I think he did very skillfully, and then let's say Delta hadn't appeared, uh, which then again, there was no way, as he was starting out in office, uh, say, last January, for him to know that delta was coming. it hadn't shown shown up yet. Let's say Delta hadn't appeared. We'd been dealing with the previous variant of the virus, which was much less transmissible. If that had happened, then, yes, I think the the pandemic would have been under control by, say, the middle of the summer.
0: Just about the time he said it would be. Mm
2: -hmm. Right, exactly. Uh, He was on the dot there. And uh, so many of these other inflation would have been a short-term problem. It would have been transitory. Uh, The supply chain wouldn't have been as screwed up as it ultimately became, because, of course, Delta started spreading in Asia, and uh, that's really what knocked the the supply chain out of whack. Uh, So uh, in that sense, this was something uh, that was totally beyond uh, his control or really his prediction, although... You know the warning was there that a, a new variant can always show up and maybe he should have prepared for that a little better, but I mean who would have frankly so uh, i I think that really is is the key to so much the appearance of Delta and at the time when it did show did arrive and um, you know that's a big, big reason why Democrats are in trouble right
1: now, it's Delta. Yeah, and, and the other issues that brought along are the unsexy things. I mean, talking about the supply chain is, you know, not a front page story. And the issues with that, people have talked about you know, potential problems with supply chains and how easily one stop, one spot could create ripples all the way down the line, which we're looking at right now. And those you can, Again, people have talked about that. In the past, and economists have talked about it, and other people have talked about it, but it's not something that you know, presidents of any kind or anywhere in the world rank really high because discussing those sort of issues is, is not easy to explain. It's hard to understand, just like explaining to people you know, when it comes to the virus that viruses mutate. You know, they, they, if, you, if you
2: really want to do something about the supply chain, it's a long term uh, project. Mm-hmm. It is. You, you have to uh, make all sorts of changes in the ports and the trucking system. Uh, they take quite a while. There's a lot in the infrastructure bill that will address the supply chain, at least from the American end of it.
0: A cynic would so, say it'll address the uh, uh, the problem in the U.S. pretty well, except that it won't do it in time for the next election.
2: <laughs> right. It's, it's going to take a, a year or two uh, to make... Uh, <clears throat> As, as they like to say, a dent in the supply chain. Uh, that's going to take a while. So, yes, from a political standpoint, the supply chain is is pretty uh, pretty awful thing to have.
0: I know that I order a, a lot of little uh, things from China uh, for, my, for the art that I do. And um, it now takes, if you order directly something from China, it now takes a couple of months for anything to get here. They used to be very prompt. And I was talking to, well, he was talking to Dean Baker, and he had the same problem. He had a small part for uh, a a lawnmower. So these tiny little things we're ordering, I, I think, unfortunately, are reflective of the bigger problems with massive imports that there are still these clogged ports things are not getting here like they used to and and they're simply not i mean and i think it i don't know i haven't done enough research to know how across the board it is but it seems pretty extensive um
2: Uh, but you you said at the beginning steve that i'm someone who uh, has my own view and here let me insert something Uh, i think part of this is biden's Uh, poor handling of China that if he had uh, done a better job of relations with uh, Beijing that they would have been more cooperative in solving some of the supply chain problems on their side they had no no incentive to do that
1: what are some of the things you think he should have done well uh, basically
2: maintain the hostile policy that, that Trump had put in place including all of Trump's tariffs against China.
0: He and, should have uh, maintained that, Dan, or he shouldn't have maintained it.
2: He should not have maintained it. Mm-hmm. Among other things, that that would have helped with inflation if he had taken those off. It uh, would have been a, a really significant uh, help with inflation. But what? more important, I think he started out with a very kind of hostile approach to China, Uh despite the fact that he had said during the campaign what we have to do is a balancing act uh, they they have to be uh, essentially competitive partners I think that was his phrase uh, we're in competition with them economically and to some extent on the political and military spheres but in so many other ways we have to work with them they have to have to be uh, you know uh joining with us to solve world problems
0: and i think what people don't understand is if if we never were imported anything from russia ever again american people wouldn't know that it. but with china it's usually our first or third uh, trading partner. So what you're getting at is that balancing act from this massive economic relationship we have with China, with the geopolitical uh, conflict and competition that we're seeing in the South China Sea and with Taiwan. Um, I think Dan, the, he's very much the pushed over I, the. I would
2: add in though, Steve, is I don't think China is as much of a foe as most Americans portray it. I know a fair amount about China. I've studied it over the years. And uh, frankly, their whole interests uh, tend to be regional. They want to be a regional dominant power. They don't care about taking over the world. Uh, I don't think they will ever use force against Taiwan. Taiwan. Uh, <clears throat> one can go through the lists of, of the list of things people hold against China, and I can give you counters for them, uh, uh, taking the uh, the Chinese point of view. There are things. Uh, it's not a beautiful government. It's authoritarian. It's been moving in the wrong direction. Uh, yes, but it's still not a very uh, uh, significant threat to the United States. And I don't think it ever will be if we handle them properly. So uh, uh, the balancing act means uh, creating a good relationship with them while at the same time, you know, making clear to them that we will oppose their expansion in the South China Sea. And uh, there are a few other things we will counter them when we need to. That's what we haven't done. That's what Biden said he was going to do. He didn't do it. And I think that's hurting him um, uh, in many ways in foreign policy.
0: I think that's uh, interesting, uh, Dan. I I hadn't heard that because most people look at where China is headed and they see a country becoming more and more aggressive, more and more authoritarian, cutting down more and more on Internet uh, freedom. Uh, persecuting uh, minorities to even greater degree, so it's it's like looking at a country and and, and seeing it go that s- strongly in a, what uh, many Americans see as the wrong direction. That I think has made uh, um, the, the the hostility you see toward China in in the Biden administration.
2: Well, I think that a lot of that has been ginned up by the Republicans and. Uh, the Biden administration has said, okay, that's the way it is. We can't counter that, so we're just going to go along with it. But if you really know the facts, uh, yeah, China is an authoritarian government. But if you go there, if you spend time there, as I have, uh, you find there's actually a lot of personal freedom that people have uh, in reality. Uh, the Government clamps down on some things, but there's a lot of space for people to move there uh The persecution of minorities is not right uh, uh, rather it's not a fair uh judgment uh Everyone worries about the waygars. The Wagars used to be on our terrorist list they're they're jihadists i mean <laughs> and there are other Muslim minorities in China that the government treats extremely well. So it's a case of of really seeing China uh, for its realities, and we're not doing that. We're we're taking a kind of Cold War view Yes, Uh, that's unnecessary, and yes, there are are issues in Hong Kong. We should be speaking out against it. But it was also inevitable that it was going to happen. So we we have to be more realistic about China, is what I'm saying.
0: Let's go uh, back, and we can agree and disagree about that. But let's go back to why you think that impacted uh, uh, Biden's um, popularity. Is it because of uh, supply chain issues that haven't gotten worked out?
2: Yeah, I I think uh, China is so critical to the success of our economy and uh uh, they would have been quite cooperative if we had taken a different approach if biden had come in and said okay we're, we're through with the trump policy uh this is what i'm going to uh put in place i think xi jinping would have been uh very happy and he would have done what he could to cooperate there he would have cooperated in afghanistan He certainly would have cooperated in iran trying to get us back into the uh, treaty so in a whole series of things around the world i think china can be helpful to us and uh, it hasn't been and that's made biden look bad that, that's my main point
0: that yeah that's that's an interesting point that uh, that i hadn't really thought about much um I realize that they're ginning up the anti-China thing, the new enemy thing that we've gone through so many times. And what happens, folks, is when this happens, it's hard to argue against it. You know, when the Soviet Union existed, it was hard to say, well, Russia's really not as aggressive as they're saying. Yes, it's bad. But it's always hard to counter that 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 rage and criticism at a country who is not behaving particularly well. What about the withdrawal from Afghanistan? What's your take on that?
2: Well, it's such a hard issue because there were very good reasons for pulling out. And in the long run, it may, when we look back on it, we may say he made the best possible decision. But the way he did it uh, was not uh, very skillful. Uh, He didn't warn people that there could be problems ahead. He didn't foresee how quickly Kabul would fall. Uh, I mean, they could have started the exodus of the people they wanted to get out uh, all the way back, say, in March. Mm -hmm. And they waited until the very end to to start uh, ginning that up. So it was poorly handled, and I think... Became very visible that it was poorly handled. And I don't believe there's any question that it has hurt uh, Biden's yeah. job and
1: approval. It would seem to me that were, what happened was sort of inevitable. So we you know, we should have known that. And as you said, handled it and started a little bit differently because it was pretty, you know, we went in 20 years ago into a country that really didn't exist as a country. We didn't, and it didn't in that 20 years, they still didn't really exist as a country. That was going to be able to survive on their own what we had started. You know, they've just gone back to where they were, you know, in 2000 with the Civil War. But we're right with you know, so the history. You know, our purposes for going in were were never very clear. We never really achieved anything on the nation building sort of aspect, whether that was good or bad. But you're right. They, you know they should have been able the whatever it was whether it was the administration or the intelligence. There was a, a real failure of of planning to do that because what was when we left when the last soldier left, chaos was probably going to follow. We yeah, just, I think yeah. The- I yeah.
0: think that the tacticians are looking at it and say, the minute we start pulling our people out, the other Afghanistani's are going to see us yeah. pulling our people out and yep. pulling out, yeah. their, pulling out our sympathizers yeah. and supporters. And the minute they see the process, then things are going to yeah. fall apart. And I think that, I mean, tactically, I think that's probably yeah. what the military and intelligence community—that's why they waited so long. It was a terrible mistake in in retrospect.
2: Because things fell apart anyway, yep. and probably at the same rate. But there was also a communications piece to this. Uh, the reason we had to pull out so quickly was that Trump had negotiated that treaty. Yep. And the Taliban said, okay, we'll refrain from attacking Americans uh, so long as you pull out by, you know, your promised state. We extended that some. But they, nonetheless, they refrained. Uh, If we hadn't pulled out, if we tried to keep, say, 2,500 troops there, then you would have seen a frontal assault by the Taliban on the remaining American forces. Uh, They would not have had enough numbers to defend themselves, so we would have had to send more troops in. And the thing would have expanded. It would have escalated. That was the thing Biden was facing. I don't believe he really made that
0: clear. I don't think he did either. And I think that you're right about Trump basically negotiated our complete withdrawal from the country. That's visible to every single Afghanistani. They may may not have uh, newspapers and stuff as well as we do, but that'll be clear. So I think the reason for the collapse, and I don't think anybody in the intelligence community saw that, was that, the Afghanistanis thought the United States had already handed over the government to the Taliban, and it had. It had already given the government to the Taliban from the perception Afghanistanis. So you had minority people have been persecuted in the Taliban, uh, putting down their weapons and accepting deals. So the collapse was in part because of the perception that we had already – the government had already collapsed. And so therefore we're throwing the troops um, – had one effect, but it was drawing the the um, support that we had from Afghanistan. is could have been done earlier. Then,
1: and we all know that presidents sometimes you know it's the buck stops at their table, and yeah. if they're the one in power when something collapses, it becomes all yeah. of their fault. When people forget what Trump had done in the in you know, create, in his part in creating the situation because he wasn't the person you know in front of the TV the day it happened, you know, when people were looking at those pictures. What I wonder... So that's unfortunate, but that happens. Every president has a couple of things that happen. I think prior, that's prior, true. Prior, I have yeah.
2: done more to throw the blame on Trump. I think it was possible in this situation yeah. to have thrown at least some of it onto Trump, and I think that would have helped.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. the other thing is that... Well, to, Biden just doesn't do that. He has lots of chances to say nasty stuff about Trump, and he never does it. He doesn't think that – he thinks you move on. So I know that there's some articles criticizing him for that. But the thing is, even if nobody in the intelligence community told him that this collapse would be that quickly – it doesn't matter. The American people are going to hold him responsible, yep. even if even if he was not warned about it. And frankly, just looking from the outsider and reading the newspaper, as Will Rogers from my hometown mm-hmm. used to say, mm. um, it, it looks like nobody told him anything. But he's still being held responsible. He's president of the United States, Dan. Yep.
2: Well, I, yeah, I agree. And I think he was going to end up with a fair amount of the blame. I'm, I'm just saying that his decision to move so quickly and to go right ahead with the agreement was based on the fact that Trump had put him in that situation. And he could have explained that. He could have made it clear to everyone why he was taking this decision uh, with the speed that he had decided to, uh, to implement it with. And he never did. He never clearly explained that. And I think it that would have helped some i don't think it would have uh, i think both of you are right he would have ended up with a a lot of egg on his face no matter what but i think he could have made it better and i agree with him in general that he should be uh you know uh, giving uh, uh a lot of his attention to trump but this was one situation where he really needed to
0: i don 't think the American people even understood the agreement that that Trump did with the the Taliban, which was basically you don 't attack us and we hand over the country to you. That was really beneath all the diplomatic talk and structuring that 's really what the the agreement was it 's not invisible to afghanistanis the American people always underestimate the wiliness and the, the perceptiveness of, of people just because uh, they live in this mountainous country and are isolated means that that doesn't mean they can't understand it. Let's turn to one of the things that you were most enthusiastic about, Dan, when we talked okay. to you last year, which was Biden's cabinet. Uh What's your take on it now?
2: I think they've, they've actually done pretty well. Uh, uh, I am a little less impressed with Blinken, the Secretary of State, mainly because I've been disappointed in the policy. But look at the rest of the cabinet. I think uh, Buttigieg has performed extremely well. Uh, uh, labor, commerce, you, you look across the board. I think they've, they've all been doing uh, a very good job, and we've seen very little a uh, breakdown in the workings of the American government, even though it was a very difficult transition. So I would say it's a highly competent cabinet. I'm not sure uh, that Biden, however, gets that much credit for it. Because everyone's focused on what they they perceive as his weaknesses,
1: and sometimes you know the, a cabinet that nobody knows anything about is the best cabinet because that means they're doing their job without creating unnecessary drama. I'm you know I'm on the school board here, so I'm involved in education. Four years of Betsy DeVos saying crazy things. I you know <laughs> you know I know that Michael Cardona has done none of that, but you don't you you sort of want him not to be in the newspaper every every day. Mm, you know his point. job is to is to make sure you know that things work, yeah, that, that policies I, I are in place, have, not uh, to create made, controversy. Yes.
2: I would have made more of an effort to send the cabinet out to sell the yeah. infrastructure bill, to sell the reconciliation bill. Uh, they haven't been used as much as they could have. and uh, uh, But then again, Biden hasn't gone out that much to sell these things.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's hard to understand how the administration uh, thinks about these things. Um, uh, I think the secretary of the state is the one that I have the biggest question about. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know he's all experienced and his background is perfect. But I think his handling of foreign policy, not even even when I agree with it, has not been exactly Adept. It's not been. There's um uh, What is it? Norman Mailer said about uh, uh, McGovern's uh, supporters. There's not enough evil in the room. And <laughs> and you, and you look at some of them uh, coming from from Lincoln, I don't I don't see him perceiving the nature of, of people very well. And he's doing policies very intellectually. I mean, this is just my take, Dan. I'm no expert on it. And rather than understanding people and motivation and stuff. So, you know, for example, if you're in Afghanistan and you know the government's leaving and you've been on kind of kept your side, you're going to be really scared. You're going to take action. You're not going to wait for some sort of intellectual thing. You're going to say, uh oh, I better get my I better get right with the with the, the new guys. And I think he doesn't understand that about human people. He doesn't. Uh, understand the evil in the room, the practicality of which people deal with things, and I worry a little bit about that so- could, could you talk a little bit to my point? am i wrong or
2: i i I agree one hundred percent you you said it uh well wow, that's uh, the first because that's exactly how I see the problem but i I would also say that from an intellectual standpoint uh there's something lacking. Uh, what we should have done is simply gotten back into the Iran nuclear deal. We should have said to the Iranians, OK, uh, we will take off the sanctions if if we just resurrect the deal. Let's go back to where we were pre-Trump and then carry on from there. Uh, that's what they should have done very quickly. And uh, Blinken apparently was one of the key people who, Said, oh no, let's hold out for more. Let's see if we can't squeeze them. And uh, it has turned out to be a
1: disaster. Yeah, because on that right now, everybody else is talking except for us. <laughs> yes you know, the Europe, the europeans the russians are sitting sitting down face to face and apparently the iranians don't really want to talk to us face to face and you know that's sort of our own fault but everybody else is. so we're you know on the brink of, of possibly a, a deal being created in which we will sort of have to accept something negotiated by other people rather than being sitting course, at the table
2: and uh, one reason we're dealing with this uh, problematic government in tehran is we didn't get right back into the deal, and our friends uh, fell; they they got quabbered in the election. Now that might have happened anyway. The conservatives might have stacked that election, no matter what. But uh, there was no chance of a better government uh, emerging in Tehran once we decided we were going <clears> to <throat> excuse me keep the sanctions on.
0: Yeah, I don't really understand why they did that, why they tried to maximize it. I think they were under a lot of pressure, really, from the Israelis to have a tougher deal and not go back to the old deal because of the time um, frame of it. Uh, and I think there was a lot of pressure uh from um, Republican criticism and stuff, but still – you know, why did they drag this thing out when they could have gone back to the deal and then renegotiated if they had to, to some extent, later on? Why is it dragged out so long?
2: That That's the big question, and I think it goes back to what you were saying, Steve. I think that uh, Blinken uh, and some of the other people involved were thinking from an intellectual standpoint, we have such great leverage here, Let's let's try to use it. In fact, they didn't. They, they did not calculate properly the human elements.
0: Yeah. What a, what a, uh, the thing I, I wrote you before the show, and um, there's been some articles in the Times about Kamala Harris's handling of her staff. Um, one of the, one of the, the people that I, you, we didn't talk much about was what you thought of Kamala Harris as vice president uh, president-elect.
2: I was a little bit afraid of her. If you think back uh, to previous shows, I was a great proponent of Stacey Abrams as the vice president, and there were reasons why he didn't pick her. We talked about that. But uh, I I was not crazy about Kamala because it seemed to me she had something of a lackluster record, and now she's been a very lackluster vice president, and we're beginning to understand better why. Uh, The stories have indicated that she has very poor follow-through. Her staff works hard to prepare her, to brief her uh, on the uh, various issues that come up. She never reads the stuff that they prepare. Uh, she's, uh, in fact, rather lazy and doesn't care about being well prepared, and it shows. Uh, she has been very ineffective. Now, that's maybe okay if your vice president's not great, but maybe you can get away with it. If she were ever to become president, and remember, she's only one heartbeat away, uh, that could really be a disaster. So she worries me a lot. And I do think it I think it was a bad pick. However, I think Biden is not going to be able to dump her as a running mate in 2024. And so we're stuck with her if he does win for seven years, a heartbeat away. And therefore, we're a heartbeat away from disaster.
0: I think she I think she'll pick up, Dan. I'm more optimistic about her. She did a good job I thought as a California Attorney General. It's an extremely tough job in California with the political winds pushing you this way and that way and this way and that way. It's just kind of a tough one and I thought she handled that well. Um I don't know, you know, that it's, it's always a bad sign when there's the kind of things we're seeing in the press folks of uh, her staff quitting her, you know it's it's not a good sign. you know if you look at Biden's staff, nobody's quitting. you know uh, the
2: and- problem, Steve, is that uh, she has an eighteen year record of staff quitting in large numbers mm-hmm. It goes way back, and you can get away with it more as a prosecutor because you have other people preparing the legal briefs, in fact, often arguing the cases for you. Uh, but if she were to be president, she would have to be on top of everything. I'm not worried about her uh, right now. I'm worried about her if she ever had to be president or if she had to be a presidential candidate.
0: The problem is, Dan, isn't it? She's almost going to be anointed uh, president because she is the vice president. In other words, she's a logical choice for president.
2: I think if Biden decides not to run, you're going to see a very fierce, bloody contest for the nomination, frankly.
0: All we need.
1: <laughs> yeah, because the commentators are already. I
2: hope he runs again, but yeah. that's the only reason I'm hoping for that. Yeah,
1: the political commentators are already discussing that and talking about other people. And, you know, I've said recently some article I was, you know, Pete Buttigieg talks again about presidential you know, possibilities. And it seems that this is early in an administration for the new media normally to be talking about those sort of issues you know, earlier earlier on than there might be with, a, you know, with the party in power and with, a, you know, a vice president who, you know, if Biden didn't run, would certainly want to run, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's not, you know like you know, you Dick, Dick right Cheney he said he never is, wanted to be uh, president, you know, you've got to. Uh, you
2: you know, have hand? Democrats uh, all over the place, in Congress yeah. and various other positions, Uh, who are looking at Kamala and saying this is the freight train coming at us and we're in trouble. And that's the reason why I think people like Buttigieg are going to be inclined to try to get ahead of things and, uh, you know, uh, position themselves, as they say.
0: Interesting. And uh, what makes you think that she's lazy, just the fact that uh, what – we're hearing from staff is that she doesn't read all the materials that they prepare for and they work and work and they have all this material ready and they hand it to her and she doesn't really read it carefully and then she goes into some kind of presentation or decision-making process and then she makes mistakes because she hasn't read it and then she balls them all out.
2: Well, the Washington Post had a very good story on this uh, a few days ago and uh, the problem is she doesn't read the stuff at all. Mm. She just doesn't read it. Mm. And uh, it's that bad. And then, of course, when she embarrasses herself, she turns around and screams at her staff, and they eventually get demoralized. They say, why are we working so hard? And they leave. Uh, that seems to me a very, very poor way to handle an executive position. And, again, it can be masked to some extent in her present job that if she ever became president, and she's been this way now for 18 years, uh, if she she continued along this trajectory, and there's no reason to think she wouldn't, uh, that is just not going to work. It's going to be horrendous.
0: I do think people rise to the occasion, though, Dan. If she were president, I think suddenly this sort of uh, process that she's in would would change. I think she'd rise to the occasion, or at least you could make a a good argument that she would.
2: Maybe, and that would be great if that were the case. But uh, when someone has been carrying on this way for this long, She also loves to rely on her sister. Mm. She's very close to her sister. Her sister has come in and has become her chief advisor, which was something I was terribly afraid of. The sister doesn't understand anything about politics. She lives in a dream world. And nonetheless, Kamala listens to her all the time. So, And that's something else that has demoralized the staff. They understand exactly what that means.
0: Let's turn to so, a little more uh, uh, upbeat topic here as we, we oh, come okay. to the end of the show, Dad. <laughs> What's the sure. positive outlook? Biden has taken some lumps, some of which he's sort of responsible for, like Afghanistan, although the, the actual – he's he's responsible for the larger – uh, decision and for not looking at possible problems carefully enough, and some he 's not responsible for, like uh, inflation and um, which all predates it it doesn 't really have anything to do the inflation doesn 't really have anything to do with his programs he 's put in or not much um, what 's the positive take he 's he's such a uh, he's such a decent human being after donald mm-hmm. trump uh, The
2: positive take is that The the pandemic is is the key controlling factor, and it may actually get better. Uh, It's very possible this new variant is going to come in. It may be milder. It may control Delta, dominate Delta, and it may actually be milder. Uh, We may get enough people vaccinated to get some control over this Uh, I would like to see vaccine passports as a way to put pressure on people or uh, to get their shots. Or the other thing would be uh, encourage uh, insurance companies to raise their monthly premiums if they're not vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So there are things that he could do. I'd like to see him do them. Uh, I think inflation and the supply chain will straighten themselves out and, I would not be surprised if that happens by, say, the uh, end of the spring, beginning of the summer.
0: We're going to have to leave it there, Dan. We've got just one minute left. And oh, okay. uh, we need to talk to you again because I think we've got a lot of loose ends in the mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. Uh, we need to talk to you at some point, I guess further down the line, about what happens next in terms of presidential politics and how that affects how, how Biden is doing his job. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, My pleasure. And uh, we, we have to have you again and uh, and spend some time on some of these issues because i was looking at talking to you about China, and uh, there's a lot more to talk to you about. All right. We have to wrap it up, folks. Um, thank you for being with us. And all our podcasts are on vvid.org, vvid.org. All our podcasts are available for the last ten and a half years we've been on air. Listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.